Hello, friends, and welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. My name is Scott Cowan, and I'm the host of the show. Each episode, I have a conversation with an interesting guest who is living in or from Washington State. These are casual conversations with real and interesting people. I think you're going to like the show. So let's jump right in with today's guest. Well, welcome to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. My guest today is Bob Antone. Bob's back. Bob's Bob. Well, first off, I'm sitting here drinking a cup of coffee. I'm, I'm, I've asked you before about coffee. So this episode we're going to skip, but I got to tell you today, I'm drinking something from blue star coffee out of twist. Have you ever been to twist? Uh, yes, I have. Their, their coffee is fantastic. Anyway, there's my plug for blue star coffee completely un sweet un un unplanned and unrehearsed but anyway i'm drinking coffee looks like you're drinking hot water or just water I'm just water <sighs> so disappointing <laughs> bob you're back why don't you tell the audience what you want to cover today because like i told you before we hit record you're driving the bus sure yeah so last time we talked um I mentioned the connection between serial killers in the Northwest and Washington state and the subject of Bigfoot or Sasquatch. So I think that's what we're going to discuss today. Sound good? It sounds, I won't say it sounds good. It sounds interesting. How's that? It sounds very interesting. I, I am really looking forward to seeing how you're going to tie a thread between serial killers and Sasquatch. So what are we going to start with? Well, we could start with um, our first Bigfoot tour. So uh, my wife and I uh, started hosting tours in 2017. And on December 10th, 2017, we had our first Bigfoot walking tour located uh, near exit 38, Olali State Park. And the thing is, we save all of our notes for every single tour, all the research that we do, we write it all down as much as we possibly can. So we have like a hard copy, you know, and I have all the scripts in front of me and basically we can start talking about the subject of Bigfoot and just kind of go into that a little bit. And then at some point we will transition to the subject's uh, surrounding serial killers in the Northwest and Washington state. All right. Before we get started. So you Mm -hmm. and your wife did your first Bigfoot walking tour. Mm -hmm. When did, I'll ask you the question for yourself first and and I'll ask the question you can answer for your wife, who's not here to defend herself. So you can completely make anything up you want, but she'll listen to it, Bob. So be careful. So when did you become interested in, in Bigfoot? I became interested in Bigfoot um, as a child because my grandparents and uncles told stories and we live in a, we live in an area known as a hotspot for sightings, North Bend, Washington, Snoqualmie Valley. It's well known, it's a hotspot. And so everybody in our community uh, has some kind of connection or has heard a story or has a family member or has themselves, have themselves seen a Bigfoot or something like that in this area. Yep. How about your wife? Uh, Has she seen Bigfoot? Not not necessarily has she seen Bigfoot, but when did she get interested in it? To the best of your recollection. 
I think she got interested in it because I was interested in it. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So I have to ask this question. I was I was thinking about waiting. I just think I'm just going to get out of the way because this is a question that's been kind of okay. um, rattling around in my brain. And it's, I don't want to say that I don't believe. It's not like that. But here's here's where I'm here's why I have skepticism. Given the amazing abilities of technology to track things, thermal, thermal, you know, um, all of that. How on earth? I mean, is Bigfoot really the world's best hide and go seek champion? But how how is this creature or creatures, in your opinion? How are they able to stay so elusive? That's a very, very good question. Uh, my opinion is, and my opinion is based on uh, many years of research, okay. that Sasquatch or Bigfoot is a spiritual being. It is not the physical gorilla hybrid you know, animal that's out there. I believe, and based on uh, the evidence, that it is a spiritual being. Okay. That's okay. So, wow. All right. Back to 2017 Bigfoot tour. Your cool. scripts. Thank you for letting me hijack the thread. No, that's all right. No, that's all right. So we started in the uh, parking lot at Olali State Park and had a great crowd. Uh, a lot of people showed up. Uh, basically, we introduced the subject um, using some of the local indigenous teachings and names for Sasquatch. And real quick, um, the most accurate name, you know, for Sasquatch or the most common in the language is Sasquets. Sasquets. It's just like baskets, but you use the letter S at the beginning. Okay. Sasquets. Yep. Um, there's also the word skookum. Skookum. So if you go down south, if you're in like Nisqually area, if you're in, you know, around Mount St. Helens, you would call Sasquatch Skookum, Skookum. Okay. So um, there's also names that are malevolent manifestations of this particular being, supernatural being. Um, and I don't say those names out loud. So it's, it's understood that the names in the language, if they refer to the malevolent form, it is very impolite to say those names out loud, even though I know those names. Okay. So that's another one. Um, yeah, and there's there are different sizes that are spoken of in the ancient stories of Washington State and the Pacific Northwest, all the way up into Alaska, mm -hmm. different sizes. So you have little people that are covered in hair that have their own title, that have their own label. You have mm -hmm. the typical eight foot tall, nine foot tall, that we understand. And then there are also giants that people talk about, very similar to in European folklore and, and folklore from around the world. They talk about giants, but in this area, they're covered in hair and they can transform and turn into different things using earth material, wind, air, different materials of, of the earth. So so these, these, these creatures that are different sizes, do they have different names or were they all kind of named the same? Um, they all have different names. Yes. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. So during our, our, uh, <clears throat> so something very unusual happened. Okay. On, uh, and it was not the first tour, 
<clears throat> excuse me, it was the second time we went up to Olali. Something mm -hmm. very, very unusual happened. And this is where we start this journey uh, down a very strange path. Okay, so on Sunday, January 20th, 2019, this was two years later, mm -hmm. two years later, we had another walking tour. And <clears throat> at some point, um, I was doing an introduction and I was talking about what I just, what we just covered just a minute ago, talking about the different names, the different language, um, having respect, having um, awareness that in the old ways, like if you came on uh, the turf that belonged to a certain uh, tribe, you know, that you would honor their protocol and ask permission first before you enter that land. It'd be like if I came over to your house, I would have to knock on the door and ask permission to come inside and use your bathroom, right? Right. So yeah. same idea. So while I was kind of talking about this in front of the crowd and we were saying names freely, we were talking freely, mm -hmm. something very, very unusual happened. So behind my back in front of about 35 people and my wife was there, everybody was there uh, uh, that could verify this happening, um, more than one witness, there was suddenly a sound of a very large bodied figure behind me. Now this is January. So the brush, you know, as you know, during the winter time, it's bare, you see sticks. It's not like green and springtime or summer where it's lush with vegetation. So everything is super bare. You can see through the trees, it's all sticks, you know? Mm -hmm. So we turn around in the direction of the sound of this. It was like giant, heavy movement, a giant thing you know, sounds like something 400, 500 pounds. The problem is there was nothing there, but you could hear the sound of something there. And it took three big footsteps. And I'm not kidding you. This actually really did happen. Okay. This is while I was talking about, you know, all of this protocol and trying to be, I was trying to be respectful. I was trying to teach the audience about like what I had been told about protocol. And so that's the beginning of this journey. So do you have any like questions about that. I bet you do. Go ahead. Actually, at this point, I don't. I'm I'm intrigued though. I mean, so I guess the question that pops to mind is is you said you were saying you were saying words freely. So I'm going to imply that you said one of the words that you are electing to not during our conversation today. Is that am, am I correct with that? Yes, I believe I so. said Okay. Uh, one of those names. And out so loud. do you yep. think that that mm -hmm. might've been some way of summoning or? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. that's, and I know um, people are like, probably thinking this is crazy stuff. You know what I mean? But you know, let's just go with it. Let's keep going. No, let's and, no. And see, the thing is I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I am trying to go into this with a, with a blank slate of a mind, an open mind and okay. take it and take it. As, as and take everything in that you're sharing mm -hmm. without trying to filter it. And all that I could think about the way you just described that was you said something, you said a, a phrase or a word and uh -huh. that there was a, an, that was the cause. And then there was an effect. And the effect mm -hmm. was that you and the people that were participating in the walking tour experienced something that was, seen and not not seen felt and heard but not seen which is a little difficult for my brain to wrap around but okay i'm like okay uh 
let me ask you this question. Why sure. did you pick this, this specific state park? Is that because it's been uh, documented as, as, a, as a place where these type of occurrences were uh, noted? Yes, more than okay. one occurrence that we can discuss further in this interview, for sure. Okay, uh -huh. okay. so you, you were in a space where something like this could be expected to happen. Okay, so, all right. <laughs> yep. So you say you took, you heard three big steps. Mm -hmm. Then what, just everything back, you know, to January day normal? Pretty much. Yeah, okay. there was there was breaking of branches too. So like, you know, this sounded like the, the footprints were stepping on branches and breaking those branches. So okay. that, and then it became quiet and everything was still as if it just vanished. So if there was something big in the woods there, that's another thing to think about. Let's say you you felt that it was a large animal, okay? okay? Why would that large animal, you know, take three steps, let's say a bear, and mm -hmm. then just completely just vanish or cease to move? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. No, so that's I, why it's very mysterious, you right, know? Right. Okay. Yeah. So the rest of that, so the rest of no, now this is me being, I'm at trying to put myself as one of your walking tour participants that day, I don't think I'm going into that forest. I'm just going to say, I think I'm going to stay in the parking lot. I, I think, you know, thanks a lot. That was interesting. And um, my car's right over there. So <laughs> what, so what, what transpired next with this, with this group? What did you guys end up, what was the mood like and what, what happened? Uh, I think everybody got excited in a way because they experienced something unusual. Um, not everyone in the group, uh, you know, believed that that it was something, you know, mm -hmm. everybody, there was some skeptics among, but sure. there were a large group of folks that were among the 35 people that really felt they experienced something um, unusual and special. And so everybody continued on. Uh, nobody was, you know, too frightened. Believe it or not, they were, they were exhilarated. They, they went on, we went on. So, okay. All right. So it'd so, been just thirty four if I was there. Be, you know, no, anyway, just kidding. Um, yeah, you'd be out of there. Yeah. I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> we can do a little history here if you want. Okay. Yeah, let's Look. let's. Okay, let's talk about um, some of the older encounters that are documented. So you have a gentleman named Paul Kane, K A N E, on March twenty sixth, eighteen forty seven. Uh, there were reports of cannibal skookums. Now, that's near the Catapoodle River, six miles from Fort Vancouver. And so that was, that made it into his diary. And um, so that's a, a, a documented that you can look up. You can look that up. That's well documented. Um, there were people experiencing uh, these cannibal skookums. These are wild men. And I assume the word cannibal means they eat people. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now we have Chehalis, Washington, uh, near PL in the 1850s. Skookums drove all the people away until the earliest settlers began settling. They started to move back. So the original inhabitants, the First Nations people, the Skookums chased them all out of there. And then the settlers came in and said, hey, let's uh, let's build a little town here, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And so after that, then the native population came back into the area. But they were they were had been frightened away. Okay. Uh, very interesting. That's documented. Um, <clears throat> we have <clears throat> Alice Borst's grandmother, 
spoke of a monster who lived in tunnels between Rattlesnake Lake and Cedar Lake. You know where Rattlesnake Lake is? I it's kind of yep. yeah. And that is found in a journal, a diary. Uh, it's actually at the Snoqualmie Valley Historical Museum, and I looked at the original documents. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so this would have been a, before 1917. This would have this was before it was Rattlesnake Lake and before the flooding. This is more of the ancient history, and this and the story goes that the uh, the people in the area knew uh, this creature existed, and when strangers would like strangers would come to the area, mm -hmm. it would come out of the crack, the crevice, at the peak of Rattlesnake Ledge. There's a big crack if you've hiked up to the top there, and so that's the story there. Um, we've collected hundreds of stories like this. Um, we have the term Bigfoot. If people don't know where Bigfoot specifically started, that started in 1958 with Jerry Crew, and um, that was printed in the newspaper, and it stuck. Everybody said, oh, I like that name, Bigfoot, Bigfoot. What, but Jerry you, Crew, let me uh, go ahead. You. In 58, mm -hmm. what paper yeah. was this published in? This would have been down in California. So Jerry okay. Crew would have been in uh, Northern California area. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's still considered Pacific Northwest, even though I know it's not Washington. So That's anyway. okay. We'll let you slide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll let me slide. Okay, good. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, so, and then Sasquatch comes from the 1920s up in just above the Canadian border. Again, I'm sorry to go outside of Washington a little bit. Oh, my but gosh. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. So yeah, Sasquatch came from the 1920s, and um, that term came and was derived from Sasquets. Okay. And so Sasquets is just a, a real even way, you know, a, a simple way to remember. So but my question here is Sasquatch. Okay. Yeah. So, so my question here is then, so when 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 the general public is is seeing or reading or saying the word Bigfoot or Sasquatch, mm -hmm. in your opinion they're talking about the same thing. Uh, not necessarily, but specifically Saskets is the <laughs> benevolent, benevolent form. So Saskets is a, a, a positive, a guardian, a good, a good thing, like a, okay. a positive thing. So that's very specific in the language that Saskets okay. is a ben benevolent. Yep. Okay. All right. So it's only been, in the last, let's see, 65 years that mm -hmm. the word big, which is slightly older than me. So my entire life, it's been Bigfoot. Your life, it's been Bigfoot. Um, mm -hmm. That's interesting that it's happened, that, that came out in the 50s. Yeah. And then on December 30th, 1885, there was a John McIntyre. And this, this was in Lebanon, Oregon. And they came across a wild man that looked like John. Now, John had gone missing, but two hunters came around the corner and they saw this wild man now covered in hair, but it looked like John's face. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like John McIntyre transformed into something else. Now, that's a very strange story. And he was devouring a deer carcass. And uh, he was lost. John McIntyre was lost since 1881. So there's another little slice of life there. That's pretty interesting, huh? That is, that's very interesting. Yeah, it makes me think of other things, but I'll maybe circle back to you later. Okay. okay. So we've, 
these have been documented since the 1800s. Mm -hmm. um, and even though we're just exploring Washington state, you mentioned all the way up to Alaska. So I'm going to assume you're talking about British Columbia as well. Uh, yep. What in, in your records and what you've been able to research, what's the farthest east that we've had a documented um, encounter or, a, you know, an event? So do you mean east in, in like North American continent? Yeah, North American. Oh, yeah. They're <clears throat> every corner of this continent. Okay. So as far east as you can go, absolutely. Okay. The, the east coast is full of, of sightings. Oh, it is. Okay. So, so this, uh -huh. so a misconception I've always had is what was the Northwest thing. Okay. So, well, let me clarify the, <clears throat> the statistics of sightings mm -hmm. are more so in Washington state uh, than any other place. So we are number one mm -hmm. and Oregon, you know, nearby and Idaho and that kind of thing, Northern California, also a lot of sightings, but according to data, Number one, Washington State. That also applies to UFO sightings. We're so number I'm, one. I'm going to mm -hmm. I'm going to propose a hypothesis here that we could ponder. Okay. Could it be the hallucinogenic properties of coffee that we're all consuming here? I'm kidding. Um, I, I'm just curious. I mean, Washington State. I mean, I wonder. Do you have a Do you have an, a a theory on this? Why Why Washington State's both I for, do have a, both for Sasquatch, Bigfoot, and and UFOs. I mean, this is interesting to me. Yes, we do have some theories about that, um, okay. and they're definitely not conspiracy theories. They are theories. <laughs> okay, okay, that's a joke. Sorry, I don't know. Um, yeah, we have some ideas. Uh, so, what's interesting, and just just to say, you know, factually, that there are many things here that we don't understand, and there are histories here. There's deep and ancient history here in Washington state that isn't quite understood. You know, in this area, history was recorded orally. You know, there are petroglyphs. There are things that were written down in stone. But there, are, there is so much that has occurred in this area that we don't currently know about or understand. And so uh, that being said, there is an ancient connection that I was made aware of. And this kind of came with conversations with my wife too, because she is uh, tribal. She has relations up in Canada. But also I had a, a, a guest staying at our house. This was back in 2009. He was a carver, a wood carver, and originally from uh, Heidelberg, Alaska. He was a fifth generation uh, totem pole carver, Haida mm -hmm. tribe. Uh, but he spent a lot of time in Washington State. Um, he worked um, he worked as a scientist, actually, uh, and he was part of the space shuttle uh, program. He was uh, one of the engineers of the space shuttle, and they were based in Redmond, Washington. Hmm. And his name is Ralph Bennett, very, very intelligent uh, gentleman, very talented woodcarver. And he is whole blood Haida Native American amazing guy but he also had knowledge of sasquatch and we sat down on a few occasions and more than a few and talked about the world of bigfoot and one of the things that he told me which always stuck with me and led us to do the research uh that that we've done 
uh, he said that whenever children are in danger or being abused or whenever innocence is in danger, whether that be a man, a woman, a child, that these beings, the Saskets, the benevolent form, will show themselves. And so I was like, wow, this and this information is coming from, you know, his his background, you know, this is this is what his elders told him. But he he was also speaking for the state of Washington. He was also speaking for the the general area. And he he's still alive and he's well acquainted with you know all of you know most all of the tribes here in this area. So he was he was speaking in general for this area for Washington State. And I was like, wow, oh my gosh. So that that always stuck in my head. And then I started thinking, wow, um, so when children are in danger or when innocence is in danger or when murders are happening or when people are kidnapped or, hmm, and then all of a sudden a light bulb went off and we started to research the possibility that wherever uh, there was a murder or serial killers have been active, that potentially there would be nearby Bigfoot sightings. And what we came across was astounding and amazing. So uh, there's apparently a connection. So that's, that is how you got onto the thread of the potential connection is, yes. is this conversation with this gentleman who, okay. All right. That's one conversation. What? But that, yeah. that, that started you, dare I say, you know, down the rabbit hole. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. Yep. Well, so I have a, I have a couple questions here and, and I think you're, okay. you know, this one might lead us into something and one's going to maybe wrap up something here. So the question I have is, um, once again, I joked about it being the hallucinogenic effects of coffee, why we have so many sightings. But the other thing here is we, Washington State does have a, a, a well-documented history of paranormal sightings and, and odd, quote-unquote, odd things. Not just not mm -hmm. just Sasquatch, but uh, like you said, UFOs or or maybe a lake creature in Lake Chelan. I, you know, there's there's other things. But we also have a... Uh, uh, and this is the grizzly side of it. Uh, we also seem to have a, a higher than normal serial killer. And what what sort I'm looking for? Um, higher higher than normal serial killers. Uh, not something that we should be like is the tagline of the state. And if they're if they're interconnected in some way, once again, I, I, my brain goes to why. Why, why is this? Why, why do we have this preponderance of these uh, hard to define creatures and, and then behavior by humans that are, is hard to, hard to, for me, it's hard to imagine why somebody would do something like that. So do you have any, any thoughts there? Well, I, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for my wife, but since she's not here in the interview, she'd give me permission. It's fine. You can trust me on this. <laughs> but yeah, her, excuse me, her tribe, uh, Dene, uh, this is an example, but the story goes that in ancient times, there was an agreement made between the world of the Nahani, now up there in the north, they call Sasquatch Nahani, and the world of the human beings. 
and they would look out after each other. So mm -hmm. if the world of the human beings in, say, the village of Fort Liard, where my wife is from and her family is from, someone was in danger, the Nahani would appear. And there's also a, another form called the Nukluk, N-U-K-L-U-K, which is a smaller form of Bigfoot, also a guardian that shows up when the human beings are in danger. So <clears throat> similarly, here in Washington, there the stories are, you know, and people can scoff at it. I don't, you know, I really don't care. I, I just, I want to honor the ancient stories. They, they uh, made an agreement to protect the world of human beings and to watch out after the people of the village. So these, these beings will show up. I have a very specific serial killer connection with Bigfoot that folks can look up again and don't hate me because I'm going to Northern California again, but. Oh man, come on. No, I'm just kidding. So Corey Stainer. So C-O-R-E-Y-S-T-A-Y-N-E-R. -E -E he was a serial killer in the Yosemite Park area. And huh? he would actually use, now this is really bizarre. He would actually use Bigfoot stories to lure women. But he also claimed to have a lifetime of encounters with Bigfoot. So he was partially using his encounters, the storytelling, to bait young women and then kill them. But he also claimed, and his family claimed, that he, com he complained of encounters with Sasquatch in the woods. And he had been fantasizing about murder since he was a child. So in his childhood, he was he was coming face to face with Sasquatch. So, wow. I mean, and this is, this, you can look this up. This is very well-documented, very well-documented. What time period was this? Gosh, I want to say the nineties. I know there's a, I know there's a documentary on uh, either Netflix that came out a few years ago, and I believe it was the nineties, early okay. 2000s. So, so modern, yeah. modern history, if you will. It's not. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Although now that I say that the nineties are 30 years ago, but anyway. Uh, yep. Now here's another yeah. bizarre one. Okay. So there, there's one really specific link up. Okay. Mm -hmm. So on January 27th, 1976 at Olali state park, where we had our Bigfoot walking tour, mm -hmm. there were footprints found along the Snoqualmie river and they were in the sand. And there were two gentlemen. One of them was from the French family. It's a local family. They were using a metal detector looking for coins and, you know, whatever. They came across this series of footprints that were very mysterious. And they led for about a half a mile. And they followed these footprints. Well, the same time that this came out, uh, this is bizarre. But in Detroit, Michigan, the Bigfoot killer was apprehended on the same day. Now, I know you're thinking Detroit, Michigan. Wait, Washington, Detroit, what? Huh? But on the same day in the media, the footprints found along the Snoqualmie River made it all across the world. There were Bigfoot hunters that came from everywhere, Canada, and they, they came to North Bend. They started setting up tents, and that came out on January 27th, the same day in Detroit, Michigan, a mysterious, uh, well, it was a suspect. It, it was a Bigfoot killer. They call him the Bigfoot killer because he had abnormally large feet. And so one of the ladies that escaped uh, being killed reported to law enforcement that the assailant had 
very large feet. Now, there was only one guy in town who had abnormally large feet who fit the description. And so he was apprehended on January 27th. Now, he was he was let go because there wasn't enough evidence. But in a spiritual way, well, I wanted to point that out on that mm -hmm. same day. Isn't that strange? That's just one of many uh, synchronicities, if you will. So we have some more that are very much, uh, they're more specific as well. So please ask away. You've got tons of questions, I'm sure. I'm just overwhelmed at the moment. Okay. I'm just, and that's not a, not a bad thing. That's just kind of like a, you know, what's that, what's that gift that you see the meme where the guy's going, you know, making his head yeah. explode. Mind that's, blown. Yeah, mind blown. That's kind of where I'm at right now. I, I still, I mean, it's still, it's so intriguing to me that Washington state has more of this than other areas. It's just, it's like, you know, to quote Olympia beer, it's the water. I mean, what is it? What is it about our region that is it, is it that these, these creatures would be more prevalent here? Is it, you know, is it the, is it the traffic? No. Um, is it the, is it the, is it the wet green environment, the woods, the, the abundance of forests? Is it, what is it that, and I'm not asking you to answer this. I mean, this is just a rhetorical question. It's like, mm -hmm. what is it? And, and I, you know, I want to oversimplify this and make it a thing. The, the thing is this, and I, and I don't think that's never going to happen here, but, but that's where my brain's going is I'm trying to like, mm -hmm pin it on some specific it's the water type answer um i do have some things to say and, and i'm going to save it for the very end i i have some okay. kind of more revelations okay but if you don't if you don't mind we did kind of a history of sasquatch we did a right. history of bigfoot now right. let's do a history of serial killers in washington a little bit let's just talk about that okay okay and I know that one of the killers is a little personal to you, and I will be very careful, very oh, respectful. You're, you're good. Okay. All right. So I was born in, in uh, January of 1974. Now, what's interesting is Mr. Ted Bundy started his killing spree in January of 74. Mm -hmm. uh, that's right when he began. Now, of course, for the first, gosh, several years, you know, they didn't have a suspect, you know, all they knew were women were disappearing from colleges, including University of Washington. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> there was one young lady that disappeared from Central in Ellensburg. Um, and people were on itch. And it was a very, very scary time. And I talked to some of law enforcement and also the uh, some of the journalists from the time at Snoqualmie Valley Record and they told me that the summer of 1974, uh, you know, during just the basic, you know, parade and everything, uh, everyone was on edge. People were packing heat. They were looking everywhere at suspicious individuals, you know, at the Friday night dance, the teen dance. You know, there were law enforcement everywhere because what happened was at Lake Sammamish, two young girls disappeared in the same day. And their friends turned around and they had vanished. And then another one vanished and everybody was just freaking out. Just so, so scared, so scared. Um, and it wasn't for, uh, it wasn't for a few more years after that, that finally, um, you know, they had a suspect, you know, and we all know it's well-documented and, and all that. 
The thing about it is that Ted Bundy's childhood home is reported to be possessed by evil spirits. And the reason that comes up is during the remodeling, um, the contractors reported in the basement, uh, messages were written in the dust and in the window, help me, help me, help me. There were no footprints leading to that window. You know, when you're doing construction, dust goes everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. There was no evidence of anyone walking up to that window, just a fingerprint, you know, writing the word help me in the window in the basement. Very frightening. Things crashing, moving around, poltergeist-like activity in that childhood home. <clears throat> it is also said, a lot of people say that everywhere that uh, Ted uh, had been, there's a residue. You know, there are people in the paranormal community that talk about this sort of residue, this evil presence that lingers in the physical locations where he either abducted women or, you know, carried out his murders or, you know, grave sites, et cetera. Uh, so the childhood home is a great example. Um, so I grew up in the time in the first six months of my life where this whole Puget Sound area, Seattle area was just on edge. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, uh, would you like to share a little bit? I know it's a tender thing, but you yeah. mentioned a connection and I, I'd really like to hear that story again about your okay. about your life and your connection there. One of the, the victims that Ted Bunny confessed to and in my understanding of the story is that it was the uh, last victim that he confessed to prior to his execution was a, a woman by the name of George Ann Hawkins. And the person that was interviewing Ted, um, I believe was an investigator that had probably been involved in Bundy's situation for a number of years. And this person reportedly said that, that what Ted, Ted described was the most gruesome thing that he had ever heard in all of his years of being you know, involved in crime and murder investigations. Well, George Ann Hawkins' parents uh, were Tacoma, uh, lived in Tacoma, and George Ann's father was my dad's boss. So I was born in 62, and so I was 12 years old or so, you know, preteen, early teens, and I would go to work with my dad, and I just remember and it's, I, I want to be diplomatic when I say this, but my dad was never a big fan of his boss. They just, they, they just didn't get along very well. There was always friction there. So I probably, as a kid, probably picked up on that friction and probably took my dad's side. And so I'm not trying to say that this guy was a bad guy or a good guy. I just, just kind of came at it from the angle. It was my dad's boss and he was, he wasn't a cool guy. But what I do remember very clearly is when George Ann Hawkins turned up missing, this man's world was destroyed and shattered. Um, he became a shell of a human being and ended up retiring and uh, having health issues and all this. But it was it was it was tragic to watch the impact of Ted's actions, not just on the victim, which is horrible, but maybe the maybe the victim got off easier because once they were dead, they didn't have to live it anymore. And the families carry this on, and uh, so that's my that's my connection to uh, to to this this topic. And it always makes me a little uneasy to to talk about the guy because it's just it was, you know, like you were an infant, I was preteen, and yeah, that, that that summer was creepy. I mean, everybody was on edge across the the Puget Sound region. Everybody was on edge and wondering what was going to happen next, and if if 
anything happened, did it relate to this per at that time we didn't know it was Ted. Um, but anyway, it was a very, very surreal time to be here in our area. Yes. And then, you know, eventually, as you know, Ted was apprehended in Florida and, you know, he was then behind bars and he, he never escaped again after that, after he was apprehended the last time. Mm -hmm. So, and then we have someone appearing on the scene uh, in the early eighties that kind of took Ted's place and took it to a whole nother level. And that would be Gary Ridgway. Of course, we didn't have his name for many, many years uh, until finally they apprehended him. Um, but Gary Ridgway was, I mean, and we're talking about the same area. So we're talking mm -hmm. I-90, you have Issaquah. So Ted Bundy's uh, dump site, High Point Way, there were two bodies found there. Um, and then there's Taylor Mountain, where there were four bodies uh, discovered on Taylor Mountain. That was a grave site there. And that's Highway 18, just uh, almost to Hobart, Hobart area, Issaquah. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and then so the Green River Killer would come up Highway 18, the same path. Ted Bundy, uh, you know, was haunting the same area. He would come up to Snoqualmie Ridge. And before then, it was not, you know, a housing development. It was just wooded area, warehouser land. And there are multiple spots where he would dump bodies. There were a few bodies dumped at the McDonald's location near there uh, to the south of the McDonald's along I-90, you know, exit 31. And then if you go further, guess what? Exit 38. There were four bodies dumped there, right where we have our Bigfoot walking tour. Um, it's right there at Garcia Gravel Pit. And that mm -hmm. brings me to uh, another story uh, about Ted Bundy. This is, this is like a crazy overlap. Are you ready? This is going to mm -hmm. be a crazy bumpy ride. So here we go. So I had a, we got a message from a young woman. Um, well, she was young at the time. This, this was a few years ago. Um, this was summer of 74. She was discussing her father who owned a company and was up at Garcia gravel pit. Again, exit 38, right there at a Lolly state park. There was a gravel pit. And in 1974, the summer of 1974, he was loading trucks. His company was, you know, excavating and loading trucks and distributing gravel, you know, all over the place. He was waiting on his lunch break. He was two trucks had left. He was waiting for them to return. He was going to load them again. And it was lunchtime and suddenly up to his right, he saw this figure coming out of the brush and this figure came down the hillside and he thought, wow, is that one of my employees? You know, did they, did they fall asleep, you know, or something? And they woke up suddenly and he thought, why are they wearing a ski jacket? What, what is that all about? And because they were puffy and big and they, why is he in the summer day, you know, why is he wearing a ski jacket or ski pants came down to the middle of the gravel pit and no, there wasn't wasn't ski gear wasn't a ski jacket it was fur and whatever this was turned around and looked straight at him and he realized oh my god this is a bigfoot or this is a sasquatch he stared eye to eye with this creature they made direct eye contact and he's just sitting in his truck just shaking shaking right and so finally he got up enough nerve he rolled down his window and he he peeked out the window and he tried to communicate he shouted or did a few things in this this being, this this creature or whatever, made a few grunting noises and and then just scrambled up the hill from where it came from, like just went back up into the woods. Now here's the deal: two weeks later, his daughter, where was she at? Lake Sammamish. What day was she there? It was the day when the two girls went missing, and there was a gentleman that had 
a slinger on his arm and came up and was like, hey, can you help me at my car? And she was one of the ladies. There were more than one young girls that day that, you know, didn't buy his story and said, no, I'm not going to help you. She was one of those. So she nearly was kidnapped that day, this gentleman's daughter. And she's the one that sent us the message. And uh, it's mind-blowing. So that brings us back to, okay, so if these beings are supernatural, yes. If they guard the innocent, yes. Do they also see the future? Can they travel back and forth in time? Now, I know I've taken it to the next level, but are they, you know, are they able to see the future? Are they clairvoyant? Did this creature know that this gentleman's daughter was going to be at Lake Sammamish and be in danger. And what's so interesting is that at the same place where this creature came down, Garcia Gravel Pit, that is the exact location that Gary Ridgway dumped four bodies later, later. So what's this whole thing about time travel? That's just, that blows my mind. I, we've got a lot of examples like that, so. Okay, so so first off, the game, yeah. I, uh, the game I've been playing all along with this topic is checkers you've okay. been talking chess and now you just went to three-dimensional chess on me okay i just i can't i can't keep up <laughs> i'm just oh. i'm just i'm tapping out okay are you serious okay. no no okay. i'm not serious i'm just like I, I'm not, I got nothing for you i that's that the yeah, I what I didn't plan for was how much my brain was going to hurt during this conversation. Is I'm thinking through everything. Wow. Okay, that's that's mind blowing. Uh, yeah, I just okay. So help me out because I don't I don't remember Ridgeway's story. I mean, I do and I don't. Um, when was Ridge? When was Ridgeway finally apprehended? It was in the 2000s. I know okay. it was in the 2000s. It was not the 90s. Mm -hmm. So there were other serial killers in the area that were mistaken for Ridgeway. Um, and for instance, my uncle Joe found a severed hand at Echo Lake, which is right there uh, at the in, inner, uh, the junction of Interstate 90 and Highway 18. There's a place called Echo Lake. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a bottomless lake. Anyway, um, it's, it's very interesting. It goes to an underground uh, tunnel system of water, what aqueducts and all that. Um, uh, so uh, aquifer, excuse me. Uh, and it's connected to Cedar Lake. So my uncle lived there and he came home from work one day and he went to the back sliding glass door and he looked in the dog dish and there was a hand in the dog dish. And he thought his son, who was working on his van out in the driveway, was playing a joke on him, a practical joke. So he went down and he picked up the hand. He's like, oh, I'm so scared. And he picked up the hand and he realized when he got close you know, to his face, he could smell the rotting flesh of this actual human hand. Dropped it, you know, vomited everywhere, you know. <laughs> ran over to the phone, called 911, you know, called the police, the police called the FBI. And, you know, the Green River Task Force was was there, you know, and they they went into the woods and they they recovered not one, but two and three bodies. There were there were more than one victim in the woods. And so they at that time thought that was the Green River Killer. Um, it turned out not to be the Green River Killer. Um, so there there are more than just Oh my God, I know it's it's crazy, but 
what happened was they said, keep your eyes peeled. Not literally. God, that's kind of disturbing. I was just imagining a, a paring knife peeling someone's eyeball. Oh, anyway, okay. Um, All right, no. <laughs> okay. Hey. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so he said, you know, they keep, keep an eye out uh, for anything suspicious. And so, yeah, and another day he came home from work. And there was a van parked, a creepy van parked uh, by the entrance to Echo Lake, the development, the area there. And he just had a gut feeling that something was wrong. So he, this was a month after the severed hand was found in the dog dish. His dog, Mongo, had driven, uh, you know, drug it out of the woods. Wanted to clarify that part. Um, Anyway, so the law law enforcement came. They surrounded the van. Um, There were two gentlemen, and I say gentlemen uh, very loosely, were inside of the van and um, they found DNA evidence that connected them not only to the victim, the woman uh, that the severed hand belonged to, but other victims and the remains that were found in the woods around Echo Lake. Now, this is not Gary Ridgeway, but mm-hmm. yes, these folks were from Tacoma. And okay. so there's an example of, you know, some of the confusion that the, the task force had to deal with because there were more than one killer, you know, and they can't tell which is which sometimes, and there's still cold cases out there. So how did Ridgeway end up getting caught? Oh my yeah. gosh. I know that he worked at Kenworth trucks and, uh, gosh, you know, I don't know everything. So okay. I'm sure it's well-documented. I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure we could go do a quick, you know, newspaper search and figure it out. I was just curious. So, yeah. Why, what theories do you, are you working on in your head that about the preponderance of serial killers in our area? You got any, any? Okay. Any? Um, well, it was explained to me that, you know, coming back from Vietnam, this is one possible uh, reason. A lot of people came back from the Vietnam War um, and they're, uh, I remember in the 70s and 80s, there were so many Vietnam veterans with PTSD and mental illness, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the Washington area. There, it was like records, you know, just lots of people living in the woods. And so the other the other component, so mental illness following, you know, war veterans, you know, there's there's that. And so the breakdown of family, um, that's one possible. I've heard people say that before to explain serial killers in Washington. Um, and then the other one is uh, we have, um, you know, there are some areas where there it's very dark. So it's just very seasonally, like just gloomy and dark. And, um, you know, I don't really have any answers per se, but mm-hmm. um, I just think mental illness is, is prevalent. And I'm sure there's somebody out there who's way more qualified than, than I am to really point out specifics, but I believe that, yeah, there's, there's just uh, a lot of mental illness that lead to these kind of things. But if you want to talk about it in a spiritual way, I think people, uh, even Ted Bundy talked about this, uh, people uh, get into things that they shouldn't, they become addicted to things. And in his case, it was pornography. And then it led to, you know, other perversions that got even more extreme and included violence and acts of violence. And I think there's something in our society where we indulge, you know, and, and people indulge and they, they become hooked and they don't realize how, how poisoning, whatever that is, whatever that activity is to their soul. And, 
and it takes them down a dark path. And I think it has to do with uh, a transition in society too. So, you know, if you think about the 1970s, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of transitioning in the you know in society and in in roles, you know, like just family structure, you know, men and women, and and there were a lot of civil rights and and just changes in general. And so maybe some of the serial killers came out of you know, just uh, this leftover transition and also, you know, people that just had unresolved issues. So that's that's my best guess. And I really I really don't have the answers on that. What do you think? Well, I do. I do think a lot of it is um, mental illness. Yes. But also attributed to the uh, decay of American society in based on, you know, like you said, or I'll call it overconsumption of anything, you know, um, people tend to fixate on, on something, whether it be pornography or, or, uh, you know, movies, it, it doesn't matter. We just, you, American society and I'm painting and I'm throwing us all under the bus equally here and painting with a big brush, but you know, if one is good, 10 must be better. So, you know, I mean, we're one of the few countries in the world that I'm aware of that, you know, we like to go to places where it's all you can eat versus mm-hmm. good good food we want you know 27 yeah. chicken mcnuggets instead of a good piece of chicken and so i think when people begin to overindulge in something whether it be a substance or, or media and they lose control then it's hard to get them back and if they're not if they're not seeking assistance then we don't know until it's too late what they're doing um you know, mm-hmm. and so I think that that's kind of part of it. It, I do think, I know how my mood is impacted when it's gray and rainy and dreary. Um, and so it, there's parts of, and I'm not trying to make fun of Seattle or Tacoma or anything, but you know, it's, it's gray and rainy and dreary there to me now. And it used to bother me. I mean, I used to, from October, I joked, you know, from October to September, I was depressed um, that, you know, the three beautiful days of summer were, were happy, but no, I mean, it's gray, it's dreary uh, and it's 1121 because I hit my watch. I don't know if anyone could hear that, but I just did. Um, anyway, it's just, I think, you know, there's seasonal aspects to this too. I, it's an incredibly complex issue that you and I are not going to, um, begin to scratch the surface of, but I think it is, it is part of the fabric of, of our area, of our region. Um, it just, it just absolutely is. So I'm going to throw you off because we weren't going to talk. This is not something we were going to bring up, but I'm going to share something that happened to me on Thursday because I don't know what I saw. I mean, let's just put it that way. So it's so all, was it, because it was in the sky. I'll say, is it a UFO? So on Thursday, I had to go down to uh, Mapton, Washington, which is between Yakima and Tri-Cities. And as I was driving back from Mapton on Highway 84, I was coming over the Menashtash Ridge out of Ellensburg. Are you familiar with that? Okay. Absolutely. hundred percent. And so as I was driving and it was, it was now getting quite, you know, dark twilight to dark up in the air, there were these lights and it looked like, well, I couldn't tell what it was, but there was a a string, like I'll call it a string of lights. And then below it were smaller lights. So it was like a, I thought, what I thought it was, it was a drone that had been lit up and was, and had some payload below it that it was carrying, right? 
don't know. Couldn't tell what it was. <coughs> couldn't see clearly enough. But so I just, yeah, okay, whatever. It's a drone. I don't care. Now I was on Manashash Ridge. So then I got onto 90 and I went out to Quincy. So I went to George. I was heading east. Okay. Now I'm doing 60, 70 miles an hour. Following the speed limit, and everyone, I wasn't speeding or doing anything wrong. I was just driving hands at 10 and 2. I'm kidding. But you, but I went east, and then I went um, from George. I go up north on the, the highway towards Quincy, and then I go into Wenatchee. And that thing was on my periphery the entire ride once I noticed it. And it was... I mean, it just seems very weird. It wasn't, it didn't have any blinking lights. It wasn't like it was an aviation, you know, like a helicopter or a, but it was keeping, I'm not saying it was following me, but it was keeping pace with my vehicle. So it was doing, you know, 50, 60 miles a minute. It was following the wind. I don't know. But to, to tie this in here, why do you think our area has more UFO sightings? What, what is it? Because what little I know about UFOs, I think of Area 51, you know, I think of Roswell, and I don't think about us in this region, but I think you said in our first episode, I don't know if we recorded this or not, but you talked about some guys in Commencement Bay in Tacoma. Mm-hmm. Okay. Putting you, you know, totally throwing you under the bus here. Why do you think our region has... Uh, as many UFO sightings as, as we have. That's uh, not exactly throwing me under the bus. Um, glad to answer that. Uh, my opinion, um, and then if you look at, again, the ancient stories of the area, um, they talk about star beings and visitors um, have been coming here forever. Um, you look at the ancient legends, there are sightings around volcanoes as well. So you have Mount Adams, you have Mount Baker, Mount Rainier, mm-hmm. and there's all, there are always been orbs of light seen and up to this day there's even a group called uh, the SETI ranch that position themselves to look at mount adams and they supposedly communicate with um beings that show themselves lights come and go from the mountain and sometimes they even hover over the camp they call it e SETI ranch hmm. and yeah and the, and as you know uh mount adams is on the yakima uh, reservation um, lots of mysterious um, activity over mountains, orbs of light. In, in our hometown here, uh, we've had, we had a major encounter over Mount Sai in the 60s, witnessed by, you know, the mayor's family of that time mm-hmm. uh, and, and prominent people in town. And it was a, a large orange blob of light that was over the mountain. <laughs> and then again, a friend of ours was at the base of uh uh, Snoqualmie Falls, and just was there kind of at dusk, and then suddenly this large uh, blob of orange light came floating over the trees. So my opinion is that um, these unidentified objects are not necessarily um, from outer space. Mm-hmm. They're, some of these things are, again, spiritual manifestations, and they are from ancient times. There are other things that we don't Quite understand there are there are beings and there are other worlds that coexist and sometimes we see those other dimensions um this isn't a ufo but i can follow up with something uh in yakima which is very interesting and this is um kind of similar it's a it's a light phenomenon that i that i encountered so a few years back <clears throat> 2009 we were 
involved with Nike and we were chaperoning youth to the Nike headquarters in in Beaverton, Oregon. I think it's Beaverton, Oregon. Yeah. And they were designing mm -hmm. shoes. Anyway, part of my you know job was just chaperoning and driving, you know, youth back and forth. And they were from different very uh, different reservations. Well, um, one young lady, um, did I tell you this story yet? No, I don't no, no. This is okay. I, yeah. So one young lady, she lived on the Yakima reservation and I was driving her home and the sun was setting and we were on uh, that straight road that goes to Wapato, Wapato, mm -hmm. Wapato. Yeah. And it was the straight highway there. And we were almost to her house and all of a sudden behind us, there were car lights and kind of mysterious lights uh, that came up behind us. And I, what is that? And I, so I looked in the rearview mirror and I could see a car and I could see headlights and I thought, what is this guy doing? And I could kind of see a figure and um, the car behind us just started speeding up and almost like we wanted to ram our car. So I was going about, you know, 55 miles an hour and this car is just revving and just, you know, charging us. So I had to speed up a little bit. I was at 60 and then the car kept speeding up and then I was at 70 and the car kept speeding up and it was like, it was almost going to ram our bumper. And the young lady beside me, um, she started to get really scared. She was, I could tell she was scared. We were both very frightened. And uh, I could see the stop sign ahead of us where I could only go right or left. The, mm -hmm. the highway ended, you know, and I was going to take a right. But I knew that I couldn't keep going or I would go off into a ditch straight out, you know. And here I was going about 70, maybe 80 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, whew, in a flash of light, this car behind us just absolutely vanished and just kind of it flashed upward it flashed upward now i you know i slammed on the brakes you know and, and pulled over you know i was just startled it was just a reaction we just pulled over you know dust and gravel everything going everywhere and you know she's kind of crying a little bit you know and we were just freaked out so i assumed i assumed as any logical human being would probably assume that this person in a car behind us had lost control and mm -hmm. had gone into the ditch. And I was expecting to see a fiery crash. I was expecting to see, you know, bodies. You know, I was expecting to see, you know, flames coming out in a, in a car on fire in the ditch. Mm -hmm. So I got out of the car and I went over to the ditch and there was nothing there. Nothing. Zero. So then I, I, I drove her home. And, you know, she was still shaken up. And I asked her mom, I said, you know, we just had the really, really strange encounter. And she says, oh, yeah, that's that's a ghost car. And, and we have a lot of those on that road. Those are people that that show themselves. These are people that died, you know, apparently drunk driving accidents or whatever. But they're phantom cars, phantom cars. The thing that reminded me of of it is because when it did vanish, it almost vanished upward, like up into the sky. That's that was the connection that reminded me of like the UFO and what you were talking about following your car. So there you go. There's another story. <laughs> so that's bizarre. Okay. So here's a here's a question though. Uh, and, uh, mm -hmm. More it's more of a well it's a yeah. What I'm what I am taking away from what you're saying and what I'm taking away from things that I've read or seen in the past, which by no means am I trying to like, once again, I'm playing checkers. You're, you're playing three dimensional chess over here. 
But it seems to me that I'm gathering this information and that it almost seems like a higher number of incidents are observed observed on tribal land. Mm-hmm. Now, that's interesting to me. You just, because you just described, I'm not saying where you were was tribal land, but you were, but have you ever drawn a correlation to that, that there's more of these events that mm-hmm. are taking place on tribal, what, what, would, what we would call tribal land now, which are, one would argue that it's all, but I'm, mm-hmm. as it's, you mentioned Mount Adams being on the Yakima. So I'm just, I know that's a very awkward. No, that's all right. But no, I'd be glad to answer that. So if you look okay. all over the world, and a good example would be Salisbury Plain, Stonehenge. Um, that's a place of ancient human, you know, mm-hmm. uh, existence, civilization. Uh, there are orbs of light, as you know, seen in that area. There are mm-hmm. orbs of light. The orbs of light thing, the balls of light thing, happen anywhere on earth where there is ancient history, whatever human being group you're from. So that includes native people here. So Mm -hmm. if you're near an ancient village site, an ancient burial site, just like in the UK, just like in England, just like in Vietnam, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. This orb phenomenon, these unidentified objects seem to correlate with ancient sites. doesn't matter what uh, heritage you are. So you are correct. If it's ancient Native America, you know, of right. Washington state, it's going right. to be, it's going to be there. So. I, okay. Thank you for connecting that dot for me. Cause you're right. I've, I've heard about the stone chin stuff. There's, I've also, I believe, you know, up in, um, in, in Viking to old, older Viking territories and all that mm-hmm. Easter Island, things like that. Okay. All right. Uh, the Mayan. Okay. All right. I hadn't quite connected those dots before I spoke. Um, oh no, you're fine. Yeah. See, this is just it's it's just it's it's just to me it's just mind-boggling. I mean, let's let's just and you know we're not gonna we're, we you have just lightly 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 scratched the the surface dust on the topic, and it's it's we could be here for days and weeks and not getting through it all, and because I don't think it's possible to get through it. Um. Yeah. Mm-hmm. N- now. At the time we're recording, this is early March of 2023, and I like these episodes to to have a long shelf life, you know. So I don't like to talk about, <clears throat> you know, what's happening tomorrow because it wouldn't might not be relevant the next day. But in April, you are part of a, a group giving a presentation, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. In Shehalis. In Shehal. Okay, in Shehalis. And I, I would like it if you would kind of disclose and share more of what that's going to be. And then Mm -hmm. what I'd also like to know is how did you get involved with this? Okay. So the Chehalis, uh, Bigfoot event, it's going to focus on hoaxers. So today when we were speaking in this interview, we focused on the real history or the real, uh, culture you know, where I consider it to be real. But in this case, it's going to focus on hoaxers and famous hoaxers. Now, see, a lot of these Bigfoot events, they focus on the evidence and the real stories. And it's great. I love that. 
but there's mm-hmm. not very many Bigfoot events that actually pick apart, you know, who are the hoaxers? How did they do it? It's very important for people to understand the, the world of hoaxing and so that, you know, proper research can be done. Because uh, a lot of times people that make up stories or they plant evidence to garner attention or money, they really screw it up for the real researchers. They really screw it up because like the real researchers have been working for 20 years just to get one shred of evidence. And then someone comes along and they create this, this you know, scenario and it creates all this buzz and attention and it discredits the Sasquatch community. So yep. what's going to happen on April 15th is we are going to, as a group, talk about, you know, those those people um, that make up stories and make it difficult for, you know, other people who are, you know, want to be taken seriously. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and so how. Now, when you told me before, though, your your ver- what you're going to present, though, isn't mm-hmm. so much on hoaxing, but more on on research. Yeah, we're going to uh, my presentation is going to be how to tell the difference between what's a hoax and what is real. And okay. so today okay. what I shared with you is, you know, from my heart, things that I really mm-hmm. believe in. Right. Um, and, you know, all you know, I know it's crazy. Some of it's way out there. Um, but we're going to talk about how, you know, some people have in the past have, you know, made footprints or, you know, made a film and created a buzz and, you know, and there are famous, um, hoaxers connected to things that you would know about, but I don't want to give those things no, away. No, I'm not asking you to, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not asking you to, because here's yeah, yeah, the yeah. thing, here's the thing. And now this is, I'm going to show you something which the audience isn't going to see. Okay. But you said you were born in 1974. I was born in 1962. Okay. If you and I were sitting down and having a conversation in 1980, okay, you'd mm-hmm. have been six years old. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you were well advanced for your age. Okay. <laughs> I would have been, okay. I would have been 18 years old. Okay. And if I would have shown you this, this, this is my iPhone and okay. a picture of my dog on the, on the screen. If I would have shown you this device, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have believed it to be true. Mind blowing. Yep. This device, otherworldly in 1980, never, never imagined. I mean, this was something Star Trek, right? Fantasy. Mm-hmm. And now we all have this device. So I think when we don't understand things, we tend to, oh, that's bullshit. You know, whatever. I don't believe it because our brains just can't comprehend it. Yet, if you look back in your lifetime, mm-hmm. That's amazing. That is amazing. That's a really good analogy there. Because this is this your 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 kids have these. You have Mm -hmm. these. Well, I don't know if you have more than one, but you have a phone. You have a. I'm I'm pretty sure, you have a cellular phone that allows you to talk or text or record Mm -hmm. a video or take a picture. Um, it does a myriad of things. I can tell what the weather is going to be like blah, 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 all in the palm of my hand. And it's commonplace. We understand it. Mm-hmm. 1980, that would have been fantasy. And people yep. would say, oh, it'll never happen here. Follow So I'm trying to suppress my natural d- um, disbelief mm-hmm. and take, cause I'm not smart enough to understand this. I'm, I'm just not, sure. so I shouldn't have sure. an opinion sure. because I'm not smart enough to have an opinion. I just have to admit that I don't <laughs> understand it and be okay mm-hmm. with that. 
So this is fascinating to me because I don't get it. I mean, I, I have never experienced anything like that uh, other than you know, literally the other day where I saw these lights in the sky seemingly just floating around. And it was, it was very, I wish I would have taken a photograph of it, but you know, I didn't. Um, and you know, somebody might be hearing me describe this and go, oh, that guy's crazy, which isn't far from being accurate, but you know, Hey, um, not because I see <laughs> lights in the sky, but it's just, I think we need to do a better job of listening Mm -hmm. and observing and not rejecting things so quickly, no matter what the topic is. Amen. Amen. And I think this, this area of interest that you have is, is fascinating. And I, I do believe that it's also full of misinformation, just like every other topic of, you know, everything's got misinformation, but I think there's people out there that are hoaxing and, and, and trying to garner, you know, likes and, thumbs ups and all that for social media purposes. So they feel like they're important, but there is, it's been going on for so long. Mm -hmm. you, 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 we started this conversation with you referencing things from the 1800s. We're still seeing stuff today. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's that old adage where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, sure. I would say that there's something here, whether we'll ever understand it or, I don't know. But I can, uh, yeah, but that doesn't mean it's not legit. You know, your whole point when you're talking about these orange, these orange blobs of light, if you will. And you say time travel, which of course that just causes my head to just like, you know, I just jammed the emergency <laughs> brake on and rah, cause I can't get it. But, but the point is if, if time travel is a thing, and we can figure out how to understand it. I have a feeling we would understand a whole lot more than just that. I mean, it would be mind blowing what we would, what we'd get. Mm -hmm. So. I have, I have one more story, basically yeah. an encounter that I had directly with, with uh, what I think is Bigfoot. Okay. Um, and, and maybe this could be the, the closing thing. Um, so 1988, uh, my friends and I were, going to town. It was mm -hmm. July. It was summertime. And we were going to walk to North Bend and we were going to uh, get some treats, some snacks. You know, we were watching movies, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We turned on the Snoqualmie Valley Trail. Did I tell you this story yet? No, you haven't told me this story. This story. Okay. I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure. Yeah, no, it's all good. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, it was about 10 o'clock at night, something like that, 930, 10 o'clock at night. So down the Mount Si Road, then we took a left down the Snoqualmie Valley walking trail it used to be the Milwaukee railroad. And I kid you not, uh, gosh, 20 feet in 20, 30 feet down the trail to the South. There was this large bodied object. Now looked like the size of a boulder looked like, uh, just this dark object, dark mm -hmm. object, uh, maybe, you know, I would say six feet, tall uh and it was like four or five feet wide mm -hmm. and all of a sudden there was this loud bellowing screech that came from this object and i realized and i saw it move it was something crouched down it was something crouched down now 
all three of us took off running and it was just the most frightening moment, but I, it's burned in my memory, 1988. And the thing is that the, the sound that came out of this thing was very low. Mm -hmm. It was very high at the same time. It was also very electric. It had like an electric shock feeling. So the sound kind of hit my body like a vibration, like an electric vibration. And it was just unnatural, unearthly. It was not anything that I had ever experienced before. So it was very low, very high. And again, it had kind of an electric shock to it. And all three of us went running. Uh, my friends that were with me, uh, I never want to talk about that ever again. One guy said, my friend said, and he said, I heard similar things up Tokel Road. And I, I don't ever want you to bring this up ever again. And he was so scared. He was crying and you wow. know um so the thing is is years later my wife and i were listening to you know we're just listening to recordings of supposed sasquatch you know vocalizations and sure enough came across a, a recording and it was very similar to what i heard in 1988 so oh, um, wow. that's that's my uh you know that's one of my other major encounters and okay uh, yeah there you go um right. that's it okay i got a couple of questions okay Maybe it's on it. Question number one. Painting a scenario here. Now you you have to suspend your disbelief. You have to go along with my scenario. Okay. You get to meet, I want to say Bigfoot. You get to meet Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. And Bigfoot can communicate with you clearly. Okay. What would the first question you ask Bigfoot? What would it be? Hmm. Well, first of all, we'd be speaking in another language that would be very similar to um, the indigenous languages. So well, if you I'm, on, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm anticipating a world where Google Translate would work. <laughs> no, all kidding aside. No, seriously, what would be if you were if you came into the presence mm -hmm. in a benevolent manner and you yep. could ask a question? Okay. What would that question be for you? I'd say, do you want to join us for dinner? That's not fair, but that's a great answer. Because that opens up so many other questions you could have over dinner. So that's why I'm giving you a hard time. That's a great question or, or a great answer. Okay. I love that answer. I'm going to, okay. Well, then what would one serve Bigfoot? Well, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's interesting because we've, we've collected another story from uh, near Snoqualmie where <laughs> a large, bodied Bigfoot came out of the woods and, and again, invisible right? and ate a meal in front of multiple witnesses. They could hear this being having a, a snack eating, but could not see anything. Now, again, I'm going to add something else that will make you understand why this was a ceremony. This was a traditional ceremony. So okay. that could help you understand. Okay. Yeah, I don't right. want to go into too much detail. No, no, that's, that's fine. That's fine. That, that helps me understand. About the, yeah, right, yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. No, see, to me, this would be, I mean, think about this. If if you or I or anyone could be in the presence and it's a, a welcomed encounter, what mm -hmm. would that question be? I mean. <laughs> what would you say? What would you ask? Well, you know, I'm going to have to piggyback on that. It's like, I might say, do you want to grab a cup of coffee? I mean, I would be Woo! something to extend yeah. the conversation. It wouldn't be just. You know, it's like the the old thing. We get three wishes, so you ask for three more. No, no, it would be, but it would be something to extend the conversation, to mm -hmm. extend the time with this creature, and to 
find out more so that my brain would mm -hmm. put the pieces together. Okay. To wrap up, normally I'd ask you about coffee. We've already asked you all about that. We know where you like to yeah. go for food and all those things are great. But if people are interested in this, where mm -hmm. should they go to start learning more? Do you have any recommendations? Boy, I, I really don't. All okay. I know is that everything, everything that we have learned, we're writing down and we have extensive journals and documents that we're saving. And, and one day those, those documents will be, you know, public record and they'll be in, you know, some kind of archive and that kind of thing. But okay. as far as giving people recommendations, I really don't know. Okay. There's so much misinformation out there that it's, you know, it's wide open. It's wide open. So um, I, I'm not going to, you know, like I said, okay, here's the, here's the important thing too. We did a previous interview. We talked about me being a musician and a music teacher. So I don't make a living off of, you know, Bigfoot. I just right. do it because I'm passionate about it. And so this, even this lecture, you know, this is just a donation. Uh, the, the proceeds go to the, the Lewis County Museum. Mm -hmm. um, this interview right here is just for fun. You know, right. I'm, I love, I love giving this information and just, it's so fun to talk about it. So, you know, I'm giving freely because I believe in it. I'm not mm -hmm. selling it, but just so everybody knows, we do have records here. And, you know, I guess if someone reached out and wanted our material, like, I guess we could, you know, share whatever we have, if they're doing, you know, legitimate research and we felt comfortable, we would do that. Mm -hmm. we, you know, they could okay. get a hold of us and that kind of thing. But, um, Okay. There's a lot online. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't know where to start if I was going to give someone a recommendation. I have no idea. Okay. So, all right. Well, thank you. This um, has made my head hurt in, in a good way. <laughs> good. All in right. In a good way. No, no complaints in, in a good way. Um, I'm going to go back and uh, unpack this a little bit. Uh, okay. And try, try to, and I'm sure I'll be calling you and saying, hey, I got questions. Um, but this has been, this is, yeah, this has been interesting. Beyond interesting, it's been fascinating. And I, you know, I'm just keep doing what you're doing. That's all I can say. It's just you guys keep doing this. Keep 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 looking and keep mm -hmm. researching because you guys are doing so much. It's not just this. I mean, you know, you, you and your wife are doing so much. I don't know, you know. Do you have you figured out time travel? Do you got more than 24 hours in a day? How do you get it all done? I mean, uh just uh you're doing so much. You know what? That's a very good question. All I know is I, I, uh, I know that when I do something uh, in generosity, mm -hmm. it seems to multiply. So, you know, we all, obviously we all can't volunteer our lives away. You know, we can't, no. you know that for a fact, no. but when there's a certain healthy level of generosity in your life, mm -hmm. it seems to multiply and you seem mm -hmm. to gain more. Um, and mm -hmm. so, yeah, that's, that's just a general rule, I guess. I'm not, I don't have the secret to anything. I'm just, I'm just talking out of my whatever. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> well, do you, I'll leave you with the last word. You got anything you want to close, close this out with? Uh, Bigfoot is real and don't, uh, boy, what can I, what else can I say? Laura, what else can I say? Other than Bigfoot is real. My wife's right here. Well, let's let her have the last word. Yeah, come on in. Hey, Laura, come and have the last word. Here she comes. Okay. This is going to get good. This is going to be great. Last word. Yeah, so I said Bigfoot is real. And what do you want to say? What do I want to say? Just about life. It doesn't have to be life about Bigfoot. Yeah. 
What do you want to What do you want to tell the listeners? I haven't had my coffee this morning. <laughs> okay. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can reach me on Twitter at Explore Law State. I'd love to hear your comments. You can also visit our website at explorewashingtonstate.com. If you know anyone who would like the show, it'd be amazing if you'd share the show with them. This is the biggest way that we grow this show. Good old word of mouth. Glad you were here with me today, and I hope to have you listening to the next episode. See you then.